Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to the Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, guys? I'm taking a <laughs> selfie right now while we're recording. If you go wow. to our Instagram account at the MMCast, you'll see it. Wow, nice plug there. Yeah. Also, follow us on Twitter at the MMCast. <laughs> go to our Patreon. Follow me at, at, at Kess Wiley. Alex, I'm just going to cut you off right now. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> we're going to talk about modern today, guys. There's also other things you can find <laughs> us, but we're going to talk about that at the end of the episode. We're going to just get that part out of the way, and we'll talk about that later. But make sure to also check out the Command Zone. And yes. the new Game Nights episode, Nickel Bullis. Shows up with Gavin Verhey behind his... If Gavin Verhey is controlling Nicol Bolas and also is one of the people responsible for making Nicol Bolas, does that make him the pharaoh god? I don't know, but the new spoilers are sick. Oh, we should talk about that. Um, But I want to talk about modern. So we're going to do that. We're going to talk a little news. We're going to talk a little spoilers. We're going to talk a lot of modern. And then we're going to talk a lot of modern. Uh, We should just make it clear to everybody on here. We are aware of the fact, guys, that we had a lot of fun these last six weeks with our with our topics. Everything from casting the magic movie to uh, what did we talk about last? Oh, magic finance. We had like a lot of topics we just like wanted to chuck off the list. We have a big document of all these subjects we're going to cover. And Alex and I, because of the traveling restrictions that have been going on recently, we had to do a lot of pre-recording. So we, because we had to record subjects at a time, we were picking subjects that were a little bit less metagame dependent. But we're here. This is the first week since February that I will not get on an airplane. Yes. So last week, so uh, last everyone week, should be very happy for me and the fact that my body won't physically destroy itself. I'm also not on an airplane this week. It's exciting. Yeah. Um. So so what happened last week, guys, is that you heard this episode us talking about box prices and everything and opening packs and the results from the modern GPs the previous weekend come in neither of us had really had time to fully digest them we had glanced at them and this week we actually are going to get to talk about the state of modern which is the topic of today's show so stick with us through these the quick news updates and a little bit of stuff and we're going to do that's that's the news wow that's breaking news yeah breaking news uh yeah there were some gps this weekend yeah uh aetherworks marvel is just tearing up a storm in standard uh yeah uh so gp omaha had a relatively diverse, I think there were a couple copies of Aetherworks Marvel in the top eight, but it was kind of diverse. But then if you looked at the top 32, there were a total of nine non-Aetherworks Marvel decks in all 32. Big congrats to Brad, but big congrats to Brad Nelson for winning a GP. He hadn't won one, I think, in like seven years. Seven, it was the first GP in like seven years. Yeah, he was, back in the day, Brad Nelson was like, he was like a big, big deal. He didn't lose a match either, uh, this one. I mean, he's still a big deal. He's been a big deal because he's a super nice guy, and everybody loves Brad Nelson, So, as well as being very good at magic and always finishing highly. Um, he's just kind of been in the scene, and everyone likes him. But this was the first major, major finish for him at a Grand Prix in a long time. So it was exciting to see, and he's a guy. He's one of those players that you, you'd like to see him win. So way to go, bud. Way to get that win. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, pretty much standard, you know, that like like you said, Aetherworks Marvel wins that one. Uh, other the, the two other GPs we had, uh, GP Copenhagen, which was won by a blue-white flash deck. Um, pretty much just standard take on a blue-white flash deck, no pun intended. Uh, like, just what we've seen for the most part. Nothing, I mean, we're, we're by no means the people that analyze standard week to week. But looking at the list, it was a lot of cards I recognized. I mean, it's pretty sweet. I mean, like, Blue-White has kind of been dead since uh, Reflector, Mage. Reflector Mage was banned. I do think I've been kind of on a rant recently that Reflector Mage should be unbanned. Uh, I think it's the silliest of the cards on the ban list currently. Like, Emrakul makes sense. 
Copycat makes sense. Copter. Copter makes sense. The, but then there's just I, the this, reason like, they banned reflector like, mage though three mana was that it was like unfun play patterns. That's that's what the defense there was. It wasn't an unfair thing. It was a this yep. is not fun for people to play against. But it's also a good answer against Aetherworks Marvel decks, like because you can get rid of the Ulamog for a turn, and then they can't like Aetherworks Marvel into another Ulamog. Right. I don't yeah. know. I feel like it would be better. It's fair to unban that card. Uh, and then the last of the Grand Prix was won by Delirium Black Green Delirium. Uh, and that one was the one in Amsterdam, I believe. Um, and that, yeah, Black Green Delirium, powerful. I mean, something that's something we're pretty familiar with, actually, in Modern. We've seen a good amount of it. And um, I actually have been finding that really interesting, comparing those two, because Death Shadow plays, compo- you know, big components of Delirium. That's like a, like a pretty reasonable part of their game plan and how the deck is constructed. Yeah. And I've thought about, like, in Standard, how, the, you know, you have these decks, like these Black Green Delirium decks, where, like, Everything from playing a uh, hangerback walker, or sorry, not hangerback walker, a uh, walking ballista on turn one to kill it and then play the 3 2 flyer on turn one, also, like you've seen that play. Yeah. Uh, which then creates obviously half of your delirium off of turn one. So, like, people are doing that type of thing. And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting because you do stuff like that in modern, I wonder. And then I'm like, well, they're kind of doing stuff like that in modern already. It's fascinating how powerful Delirium ended up being of all of the mechanics from that block. I mean, like, through both. And, I mean, I'm assuming there's stuff going on in Legacy. I haven't paid attention much to it. But um, Standard and Modern have kind of both been completely taken over by Delirium decks. I mean, Death Shadow's is basically a delirium deck it's playing traverse the ulvald and grim flares i mean right if you look at and then if you look at standard obviously green black delirium has been one of the major decks of that format since the beginning of delirium so do you think that do you think that um it's really surprising that it's so powerful or do you think that it's really more surprising that one card in particular is so powerful but it's not just one card I mean, even including Emrakul, who we were just talking about, is on the ban list, yep. is kind of a delirium card. But if you go to Grimflare, Traverse the Ulmwald, uh, like there's a significant Traverse is the one, and then and then Flare is really good. But Flare is just like a generally really good card because of its ability when it attacks and hits. The fact that Delirium gives it plus two plus In two. In modern, you're talking about yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yes, totally. But Grimflare has been seeing play literally the first modern GP after it happened. It was as a seeing play in modern so like for sure so what i'm trying to say is i think grim flares the fact that grim flares a 4-4 with delirium is very powerful if grim flare were a 2-2 that had like menace for instance and the same ability i think it would be like a little less good but still kind of in the same wheelhouse because of the fact that it gives you card selection and that's the reason that card is as good as it is no the fact that it's a 4-4 is, i mean it doesn't die a lightning bolt it's another reason lightning bolt's bad like a I'm saying Anytime. it would be less good, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that the delirium component of that card is powerful, but it's not the thing that makes the card usable. It's no, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with you on that. Actually, really? Uh, yeah, like him being a four-four for two is what makes that card good. All the other stuff is really good, and there's a reason he's a super playable card. But we just saw this weekend that four-four for two and white um, in the blue-white list, Glorybound Initiate. Glory Initiate, is also seeing play. Pretty much just because it sometimes is a four four for two. Yeah, no, I mean, it attacks. No. Like, I, I guess I feel you. I'm just saying I don't think that if I don't think that if Traverse hadn't been printed, we'd be looking at each other and saying Delirium is such a ridiculously powerful mechanic. I think we'd be saying that card Glim- Grim Flare is pretty good, and you know, like I just don't think we would all be looking at each other and saying 
oh yeah, yeah, you know, that Grim Flare card is, is the bee's knees. I think we'd be saying, yeah, that card's pretty good and it has that interesting ability. Whereas I think with Traverse, it's like that card is like a format defining card and it is exclusively because of the delirium component on the card. Well, and, but it also like standard has been kind of taken over by the, the mechanic. I mean, if you look at Ishkanaz, he's a ton of play in standard. And I don't ask if Ishkanaz was four mana or we lived in a world where five mana spells, I think you'd see a ton of play in modern. Yeah, I mean, you did say you did say that Delirium, of all the mechanics, ended up being so powerful. You didn't specify in modern, so yeah. I agree. We were talking about standard right now during okay. our news section. Sick. But no, in general, I, 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 I think it's surprising on both ends that that mechanic was just as powerful as it was. And it really attested just graveyard mechanics in general, like creating this weird cost that uses this resource that normally isn't valuable and allowing a kind of dead resource to be something that's valuable offers a lot of versatility. I would agree. I would in, I would agree entirely. I'm um, like failing at spelling delirium to look up every delirium card. Spell it for me. D-E-L-I-R-I-U-M. Plus, I mean, like, Gnarlwood Dryad saw play. Is that the... That's the... Three, three for one? Yeah, it's the Wild Nacatl. Okay. The Delirium Wild Nacatl. And then um, I think the only other close to relevant card is Whispers of Emrakul, Masters of Modern spoiler card. I mean, that card's sweet, but it <laughs> literally has seen zero play aside from maybe eight rack decks, maybe. But that's even a stretch. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, we spoiled it. It was great. It's a great card. Yeah. Uh, but no, yeah, Grimfly. I mean, the specific one's being Grim. But even then, like, most mechanics don't. Well, actually, I guess that's not completely How many true. Delve spells total, if none had been banned, would see play in Modern? You'd see, like, six. Six. Yeah, yeah, but Delve's probably on a list of most broken, broken mechanics, mechanics of right. all time. I'm not like saying Delirium is a most broken mechanic. I think it's totally fair. I just think it's, like, surprising that this, like, kind of do-nothing mechanic when we first got spoiled that I wasn't super high on ends up being the most recognizable mechanic from Shadows of Ranistrad. Like, there are no Madness cards that are seeing play. And that's the set, that's the, the mechanic that's like, yeah, Madness is back. And, like, Delirium is the one that... Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think I think in Modern, the playability has so much to do with Mishra's Bobble. So funny how, like, that one card is just such a... It would still... I mean, these cards would still see play. Like, Junlists are playing Grimflare without... Mishra's Bobble. But I keep... <laughs> I mean, Traverse the Ovenwald, totally. But the, you, that card's powerful enough that you would try and force it, yeah. even if they'd ban Mishra's Bobble. Agreed. But Bobble is one of the major reasons that it is... As high. great as it is. Yeah. Sure. Um, and I think... I mean, Threshold was really strong before. I Like, we're saying this, but if you look back at Threshold... Oh, yeah. This threshold just felt like, great. especially in Limited, a very difficult Threshold to turn on. But Threshold... You know, uh, Wild Mo or Mongoose uh, still sees playing Legacy. Nimble Mongoose? Nimble Mongoose. Not Wild Mongoose. Wild Mongoose. Wild Mongrel, Nimble Mongoose. New, uh, new nickname for Kessler yeah, on the yeah, podcast, yeah. Wild uh, Mongoose. The Wild <laughs> Mongoose in its natural habitat uh, is a dominant card in Legacy. Uh, no, yeah, but I mean, that's still a threshold card that's super relevant in Legacy. Threshold uh, in general. <laughs> Meet the, luckily, this is not a card that's ever going to come up again. <laughs> come, to, come to GP Vegas. Meet the Wild Mongoose in person. <laughs> We're gonna be at GP Vegas, by the way. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's something that that's news. GP Vegas, we're gonna be there. Uh, there's also uh, the command zone is throwing an awesome party on Thursday night. Everyone should make it. There yep. are flyers on the internet, and we will be there too. There's flyers on the internet. The wild mongoose in person. Um, so all right, let's uh, let's before we get into our full sort of state of modern conversation, let's uh, talk a little bit about these spoilers. There was a couple that have come out. Yeah, so that we it was. I mean, like, <laughs> I feel bad for Wizards because they, like, had their three big story moments all revealed in one 
and important cards all in one leak accidentally. And it was from Wizards' website. It was I forget which country, but a country's version of Magic just accidentally posted these Ugh. like the the standard showdowns flyer for the next standard showdown instead of this weekend's this last weekend standard showdown. Brutal. Um, but we got Nicol Bolas. We got the the Samut plane the specific tested. planeswalker who was the legendary creature from this one. And she becomes or yep. she, she becomes a planeswalker in between these two sets. Spoiler on that. And also the three mana board, you know, Armageddon or not Bantu's Last uh, Reckoning, Damnation. I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, but that completely spoils that. Nickel Bloss is going to kill. Spoilers for everyone who's trying not to do this. Nickel Bloss <laughs> is going to kill every one of the gods. He's going to kill all the gods. Yeah, literally, Bantu's like all Bantu wanted was to be the last god, <laughs> and like they're all dying. Like the flavor text on that card just explicitly says that the gods are are going to die. That's so sick. Yeah, it's, it's going to be cool. Like, the set's sweet. I'm sad that we don't get to experience that more. But Nickel Boss is going to show up and murder all of the gods. So let's just talk a little bit about this. I don't know I, why he's going to do that. I, I did I did a full... It's about the journey, not the ending. <laughs> I did a full uh, uh, review of these three cards already on whatever day they were spoiled. I think on Thursday on Anchor, my uh, Anchor.fm, which is a little app you can download. You can hear audio blurbs every single day that I talk about magic on 10 Minutes of Magic. It's very fun. A lot of you guys actually have been getting on board, and uh, it's been fun to meet a lot of you. And if you want if you want to like, kind of test them out, Subscribe to our Facebook page. That's where we're posting the video versions. Yeah, I a do a little bit more exactly because the the app you can you can basically record something. You could too as a listener. You have your own station and you record it and you click a button. And it actually downloads it into a little video format that is then postable through all of your social. It's like instant. It's really cool. But anyway, long story short, I spoil the three cards on there or not spoiled you them. you specifically I, <laughs> was the one that previewed those cards <laughs> i am dyslexic i had a stroke um <laughs> I, I i discussed the spoiled cards on there and small victories for me <laughs> <laughs> and so let's let's start and just do a quick uh thing with bonte's last reckoning so a lot of people calling in and talking about this they are saying that in modern a three drop wrath the reason that it's good it's for several reasons a if you play a wrath on turn three because first of all guys the card reads black black one sorcery destroy all creatures skip your all lands you control don't attack during your next untap step so it's like the wrath version of savor the moment sort of except it only specifies that your lands don't untap so whereas savor the moment is you skip your untap step this card specifically states you get to untap everything but your lands so mana rocks yep mana rocks and most importantly was this was pointed out to me the cards tasker and gurmag angler <laughs> cost one mana yeah. effectively which means you get to lay a land the next turn and resolve something, which probably in a lot of cases will be one of those two cards. Yeah. That seems like a very good use of this card. No, I think this card, I think we'll definitely see play. I mean, like, the pedigree on it's really high. The drawback on it is workable in two different ways we just discussed being, yep. you know, I, I think this gives a little bit more tools to, ta uh, not Tasker decks, because it definitely gives it to Tasker decks, but yep. uh, more tools to Tesserator decks. Yeah. Uh, because they're the ones that they're the they're the main mana rock deck in the format. Strong point. Um, so that that yeah. definitely offers there. I think there's Model Black. The problem is it's double black. Otherwise, I was thinking that Model Black Eldrazi or uh, Tron might like look at it, but I don't think it will in the end. Another thing that's sweet too is that um, obviously in the same way that Save of the Moment always did, this works well with Planeswalkers as you get an activation on the turn that you skip the untap step, and that Tesserator deck you're talking about does play several. So yeah. Literally named after them. Yep. Tesserate uh, is a Planeswalker. <laughs> so that's a cool card. Yep. Uh, I think the other thing that's interesting here is that in a control deck, like if you are playing Grixis Control or one of these Esper lists, mana efficiency in modern is so important that late in the game, paying three for a Wrath versus paying four for a Wrath 
it's fine. You'll have other lands you get to use the next turn, but most importantly, having the extra mana open that next turn to keep counter magic or interact is super important. I mean, like, this is a bad situation for you, but say you're against a deck that is able to recover from this. The fact that Grixis can now play one of these in its main or sideboard, but can snap caster it back on turn five, regardless of the fact that you're now tapping out twice to, like, you're time-walking yourself twice, but the point of Snapcaster spells and the reason like many decks that run with snapcaster mage has a variety of different spells is you want options with snapcaster mage and this is another very powerful option that you get for a pretty low cost and is just inherently powerful yep and the point is this is a format that kills you on turn four being able to wipe the board on turn three is a good way to get to turn four (laughs) definitely um so um, but uh, uh, the the other two cards the planeswalkers yes there have been two of them spoiled so let's start with the less flashy one let's start with the boring one so so the boring one so Moot the Tested. Do you want to uh, read, what it, read what it does? It is red, green, two for a Planeswalker that comes down, I believe, on four loyalty. It's plus one is up to one target creature you control gets double strike until end of turn. I'm just doing this entirely off memory right now, so correct me if I'm wrong. It's minus two is you do two damage divided as you choose among any number of target opponents and or creatures they control. And it's minus seven is search your library for up to two Planeswalker and or creatures and put them directly into play. Is that correct? Yes. So... The key to this card, as I'm confirming everything you said is correct, uh, is actually interesting. With both of these spoiled cards, we now have exactly 50 Planeswalkers that can uh, ultimate when they enter the battlefield with doubling season season in play. But more importantly, this does what Jace does in that doubling season deck that has never done anything but exists, but you don't need blue, and you don't need double blue. You just need red-green. So now that deck can exist with just red-green. Because if you have double season in play, you can now play this, and it can ultimate and do the same thing Jace was doing. It's with permanence from your own deck, which is technically better than permanence from your opponent's deck. But the fact that it can do that is super, super, super important for this card as something that might see play in modern. I literally never realized that. And I've read, I've read this card and thought a lot about it, and I didn't even think about the fact that that's true. Um, yeah, you're right. That it, deck can now be a red-green deck, or it can be red green and any color instead of having to be teamer um which offers just differences to it which means it can be a different type of play and something that's doing differently definitely the green is like the fact that you can put more of an emphasis on the green in the deck as opposed to only playing the green for the doubling season you can ramp into the doubling season uh that seems strong i feel like that deck actually might be a thing now now that i've said that yeah because you can you can go a you can do red green but you can do junt and that's kind of the big one to me, is that Jund, you get all of the Thoughtseize effects to be able to delay longer, but the best removal in the format with Terminate and Fatal Push, yep. and Lightning Bolt's still in the deck. And, like, because black is just better than blue in this format. Mm. It might be the best color. I've been, like, on a green being the best color in the format, but with Fatal Push, I think black is the best color in modern right now. And The effects of Fatal Push, man, that it's just, week to week, it's like, it just gets more and more and more powerful, it seems like. Do you know what card's seeing more play than Fatal Push in Modern right now? Spells, tell me it's Spellskite. Spellskite? No, it's not. It's not Spellskite. <laughs> Collective Brutality. Yeah, that card's so sick. Card sees tons. It, it was in the top four most played, where Fatal Push was, I think, number six most played at GP Copenhagen. Uh, in the newest list that I've put together that I sent you yesterday that you, like, won't even dignify, you won't even open the text, it played two Collective Brutality. Yet. Yeah, it's, I love Collective Brutality. It's in every one of my, like... So, like, in general, in my suitcase of Magic decks, I have all ten two-color pairs of Commander decks, but then I have, like, a gauntlet of Modern decks plus my two Modern decks that I tweak continuously, and one is Jund, and and one is Asper right now. Used to be Jeskai. 
Uh, and both of them are just like, oh, I'm going to try out a bunch of wonky cards. Both of them are playing two collective brutalities easy and probably should be playing more. Yeah, I think cards the, are really good. <laughs> the, the, deck, the deck list that I've put together, guys, I, I think I've talked about this before on here, but it's the Goblin Electromancer on turn two into turn three Lingering Souls flashback Lingering Souls deck. I've like always been fascinated by the idea, and now that you have Baral, so you actually, instead of having to rely on the uh, Stormscape Familiar, you actually just have eight copies of a two-mana creature that can get you Souls, Flashback Souls on turn three. Uh, now I've tried to build the five-color zoo version that's playing, like, Nicotl, Tribal Flames, <laughs> Step Links, like, and, and, like, the big finisher card is that you get to play Rally the Peasants because both halves get reduced with Flashback. So it turns your little, like, mana creature dudes, your two drops, into, like, actually pretty legitimate threats to just win the game on turn four. Uh-huh. Um, long story short, I'm playing Collective Brutality in the list because why wouldn't I? Because it gains you life back from all of your fetch Discarding hands. Lingering Souls with Collective Brutality is one of the more fun things they've and done. And discarding Lingering Souls. And, and because the deck is playing all of these two mana, uh, mana accelerator creatures, you're looking for ways to reduce your, your spells right. that would already be good on their own but get exceptionally good if they cost one less. Yep. And Brutality for one black discarding a Souls to get two abilities out of it is like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. value. But, but back to Samet. I do want to, because I realize people might not know what we're talking about when we're talking about the Jace Doubling Season deck. So those who don't know, Doubling Season allows Planeswalkers to come in with double the loyalty counter so they can ultimate immediately. Yep. And so with Samet, you can play her, ultimate her, getting a second her and the best creature you have in the deck that you're playing for of, say, Emrakul. <laughs> and then do that three more times because every single new one that comes into play can then ultimate again. So you get four Samet triggers, which means that you get like your three best creatures plus two more. So you get your six best creatures out of your deck. And that can most likely be like Emrakul, any other unblockable 5-5, five, five, and something that gives them all haste, and you just win. Um, I don't even know if you need that because I think you could do Emrakul, and then the last one, instead of ultimating, you just give it double strike, and then you give it haste. And if you just do that... It's a instantly win combo. Does the haste come with Samet? No, you just give a just bring a like oh, a okay. goblin rallier. Yeah. You know, there's like ten creatures. Herbarask uh, the hidden. If you want to go super spicy, that's probably the one. <laughs> honestly, or, I mean Herbarask is just generally. I mean, it's, just, it's bad with if you don't if you just draw it. It's not that great. I mean, it's fine. It's a fine card. I'd probably want to play with a card that in a deck like this, though. I mean, I think you'd want to play something sweet like that as opposed to like some goblin. But we thing. just listed like ten really clunky not playable cards unless you're going off i think you'd want something that was a little bit better than completely unplayable fair it's fair uh but yeah so that's that and then nickel bolus the god pharaoh so i just want to say a few things about nickel bolus right now um is it that he's sweet yes okay it's totally so i ranted a lot about this when i was talking about it last week and what i was saying was there's not that many components to magic story that i think are that cool i think the story in general is interesting and i think they do a good job with it but i as a fantasy fan like one of my favorite things ever is Lord of the Rings. I'm obsessed, right? But I don't Nerd. find magic story to be like... <laughs> I don't find myself drawn in, I guess. And that's probably because the medium that the story is communicated through is largely cards. Like, there's no sound. It's like the the other ways you can take the story in. Like, you have to read stuff. You can watch their little trailers. But the design of Nicol Bolas is super intriguing to me. And I think it's that I like that they took this character from way back when in Magic. Like, the very beginning... And they took it and they re basically redesigned the character. And now he was like the villain. He was like the villain when he showed up in Alara. And now he's like straight up just like this god king. God Pharaoh is such a sick description of Nicol Bolas. And now that you're yeah. saying that like there's going to be this story where he's going to kill all the gods. Yeah, the, so, so the text I was talking about on Bantu, Bantu's last reckoning. for uh, It's his last reckoning. Yeah. Uh, to the last Bantu wanted to, 
only to be the first among God Pharaoh's subjects. He's dying. It shows him dying. He's he's going down. Sick. Why would he have his last reckoning if he's not dying? I don't know, but I think tell me that Ben. Sweet. Okay, so they tell you what Nicolas does. Uh, other house sick he is because I agree with Ben, uh, and we're gonna get into that. But four mana, blue, black, red. So seven total mana. Uh, Planeswalker Bolas, plus two. Target opponent exiles cards from the top of his or her library until he or she exiles a non-land card. Until end of turn, you may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Plus one, each opponent exiles two cards from his or her hand. Minus four, Nickel Bolas, God Pharaoh, deals seven damage to target opponent or creature an opponent controls. And minus 12, exile each non-land permanent your opponent controls. I love the minus four. Mostly because in my head, I'm just imagining it's not like even it's just like him swiping a guy. He's just like, oh, I don't like you, and then hits yeah, you. Right. It's like giant claw that like accidentally just wrecks a thing. And in the movie, in the movie, like the character that he hits with his hand lightly would fly like clear across the room. I think just evaporate, smash into a like... wall, and like all their bones would shatter. <laughs> and then he would like f- he would like frown at some attendant who would like drag the body off or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it'd just be like, oh, I accidentally like hit you. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's, he's really sick. And this is actually like, we, not on a magic thing, but we, we were talking about Marvel villains recently on something else. Uh, the episode of your other show that I guessed it on. Yeah. Yeah. You were, we talked to guardians of the galaxy last week on uh, action movie anatomy. Yeah. So you should go watch that. It was cool. People seem to really enjoy it. Star Lord. Star Lord. Uh, but back to Nicol Bolas, Planeswalker, uh, or, or villains in general. Um, I think the problem that a lot of modern day superhero movies have with their villains is that they keep killing them. And it's probably like an interest, like, oh, we want to do more superheroes. We want to just, or more villains. We want every movie to have a different one, to have a different feel. But then because of that, and because especially Marvel has been dealing with the, the main franchise that has been able to get all these superheroes, the B-list aside of their villains, because they don't have access to the Spider-Man ones. Right. And they don't have access to the X-Men ones, which are where all the good villains, in, and or Fantastic Four. Like, all three of those franchises have good villains. None of the other ones really do. Hmm. But, like, the reason Loki is the arguably the only good villain is because he keeps coming back. <laughs> He has a story arc, and that's what Nicol Bolas is great. Like, he is someone that we've gone in over the last 25 years of magic to develop with, and we've seen his story grow. So when he comes back in this event, it's epic, and we're excited, and it's super hype. He's just, yeah, I mean, I just think the idea of him as a god king, like some god pharaoh, it kind of reminds me of what they were trying to do with X-Men Apocalypse, except that movie was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's like the coolness of Apocalypse when he first shows up, and he's able to just, like, wreck everyone and control everyone powerful. Yep. Um, but like a good version. Yeah. Cause you know, that movie sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the worst X-Men movie? No. no. Last Stand is worse. Yeah. Last Stand is bad. And X-Men, uh, or, uh, Wolverine Origins. Yes. Is true. like really bad. So you and I argue about this all the time. We're going to keep this to 30 seconds or less because we are talking magic, but yes. Okay. Fine. If Deadpool is an X-Men movie for the sake of this argument, that means they've made 10, ar- they've made 10 X-Men movies. 11. And three of them are terrible, and one of two of them are mediocre, and then the rest are really good. <laughs> the top two and the and the worst two are gonna be. Uh, I was just talking about this X two and first class. It's like no, no top two are top two X two. Oh, I said Larry. Sorry, Logan is a superhero movie, or is it an X Men movie? Logan's the best. Logan, Logan Deadpool, X two, first class are the like four, and then the rounded up you have X Men one who like has originality perspectives. And I really like Days of Future yeah. Past. I really like Days of Future Past too. Oh, I think they're good ones are good. Like we, X-Men, the X-Men universe is underratedly has a higher success rate than I think a lot of other places. Well, and Logan has raised the average now so much higher because it was well, like, so good. Y- like in the last year, they've had one bad and two good one. And that's yeah. about their rate. Yeah. And so, okay. And then the okay. worst, the worst two are Origins and, and Last Stand. Last Stand was my least favorite movie of all time for a <laughs> long time. And then, uh, 
the last Airbender movie came out by M Night Shyamalan. Oh yeah, movie's and terrible. I s- will not pay money to see Split, who's apparently decent because of how much he ruined that franchise. So all right, excellent. So back to Magic. Yep. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think he's sweet. I, I, it, modern playable wise, I'll I'll I'm waiting to see. I don't think he does much more than what Grixis control decks want already. I don't think like you know Death Shadow Grixis control world. I mean, like, Corey Burkhart probably has opinions on it, but my assumption is his opinions are he's probably not that playable. He's powerful, but what are you really doing? So, okay, seven mana comes down. You've controlled it the game. It is five, seven mana to do seven damage to a player. Yeah, that's Wor- true. Worst case scenario, you'll be able to just do that You've, damage. like, maybe maybe you've controlled and you've tempoed a little and you've snapcastered and bolt, snap, bolt, and people have shot. They've fetched a few times, and they're, yeah. Then they're at 12 or something like that. You see the opportunity and you bolt, snap, bolt, and then you just resolve this and win. Yeah, like, that's definitely a possible... But it seems like that deck is, is less interested in having a 7-drop in its hand at any point in the game that it totally. can't do anything with than it is, you know, the only time this card would be relevant is, like, when they want that and they draw it, mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, it's in the opener and they have to just deal with being down a card all game. That doesn't seem like that what that it wants. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, like, I, I'm going to cast this a lot, but it's going to be in other formats, like Commander. Yeah, I mean, or. we could be wrong because, the, obviously, the versatility of the fact that this thing comes down is effectively, like, it's not Karn. It's not just, like, get rid of a permanent. It's, like, effectively get rid of nearly half your life total. I can just, like, if that's what I want. Versus, like, totally. protect itself, strip your hand. like One has the other two kind of – it's very comparable to Karn because it yeah. has a it's, – it's plus one is better than Karn's, Karn's plus one. Yep. And it's plus two is comparable to Karn's ability to, like, eventually steal things, but it just gets it right now. You get the cast free spells. Yep. Um, so it does do a lot. Uh, I'm excited for this in Commander. I'm excited. I like don't have a Grixis deck, and I think I'm going to start doing the the shards now. Yeah. Not that that's relevant to this podcast. Let's talk about modern. Yeah, let's do it. I think that's it for the spoilers. Yep. Um, I mean, that was that was that was modern relevant. I think. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so we had some stuff go down recently, guys. So let's just start off with this. I think this is where I want to start this conversation of the state of modern. So I talked about this a bit last night. Um, I just had a moment last night where I was thinking about it. I was as I was reviewing all of these results from the tournaments, and I was thinking about modern. I really miss the modern pro tour. I really do. Yeah, me too. I was just having this moment where I was like, you know, we can make all we can make light of all we want, like these Grand Prix, and we can watch the coverage. And I was really happy to see that there had been some coverage from from the tournaments two weekends ago. SCG seems to be taking modern under its wing a bit more. But this idea, this idea that like the highest level modern tournament no longer exists, because I was even thinking about I was even thinking about like Eldrazi Winter, but Eldrazi Winter, as much as it sucked during the time after the Pro Tour, when it actually happened in the first place, was so exciting. Yeah. It was so cool. Totally. It was like, oh, what are the best minds in the world going to do with these best cards? You know, like, the idea... It, it doesn't even... Like, the prize support, I was even thinking about this. I, I was like, all right, so it's 50 grand if you win a Pro Tour. So you win a modern Pro Tour playing a modern deck that you've come up with with your team and you show up to wor- whatever country it's in. It's very exciting. But even if they were to have a tournament that you won 75000 that wasn't the Pro Tour, it was run by a third-party company, it still wouldn't have the prestige to me that the Pro Tour does because it's not sanctioned as the friggin' Magic Pro Tour. It's something about the fact that like that is the standard that we've had for a long time. Totally. So unless there's another tournament circuit that is acknowledged by Wizards as like, this is the biggest... Most yeah, the presti- eternal yeah. league. Like, it needs to be acknowledged as, like, this is where the best players in the world are going to go play. 
and it's not to sell packs. It's not a marketing statement, which is what the Pro Tour is. It's still going to be a marketing statement, but it's it's meant to be this. Yeah, continue. You can't sell mo- you can't sell standard packs by having a modern Pro Tour. Is the problem? That's the biggest issue. They can have these limited sets, and they can have these limited release sets, and that's exciting. But Wizards knows we have X number of dollars to promote our new sets, and we can't use one of the four opportunities to have a modern Pro Tour because it doesn't promote the new sets. So that's the problem, and and that's where the modern Pro Tour went. And I think, I think we even said this during during the era where there were modern Pro Tours. Modern Pro Tours definitely were influenced by the new sets. Every new modern Pro Tour, like everyone I can think of, definitively used cards from the most recent set. Delve was a heavy influencer on a modern Pro Tour. Uh, you had El, you know, Eldrazi Winter. Like, that's all new Oath of the Gatewatch cards. Like, Agreed. But if you were somebody who was getting into Magic and you were watching, and you were, like, watching the Pro Tour, you wouldn't go crack a box. You'd go buy singles. Sure, but I don't think the mo- I don't think the mo- I don't think Pro Tours in general are for people that are just getting into Magic. It's I mean, I get that's, like, what their purpose is, but it's not. Most people don't. I'm like, oh, man, I watched. It's like, like, I've compared Magic to golf a lot. Yeah. You only watch golf tournaments if you like golf. True. Golf Fair. tournaments aren't the reason you learn to play golf. You learn to play golf because your friends are playing and you are like, oh, I have nothing to do today. I'll go hang out with you guys this afternoon. And you're like, oh, this is relaxing and I like driving a golf cart. <laughs> Magic is very comparable to that. You play because your friends get you into it. The Pro Tour is an advertisement for why you should continue playing and you can have time to invest time and energy into this ho- hobby. And Modern does that not as well as Standard. But, I, you know, if you look at tennis, which is a, like probably even a better example of something comparable to Modern – Tennis is four Grand Slam tournaments. They have four big ones. Each one is a slightly different format. One is on clay courts, one is on grass courts, and two are on hard courts. Right. And that's what the modern that's what Pro Tours were for a while. There was the Eternal Pro Tour, which was, you know, uh originally um not legacy. Uh extended? Extended, and then it became modern. And then there was the block pro tour, and then there were two standard pro tours. Literally the same descriptor to standard. And now we just have four Pro Tours of Standard that, on top of that, Standard has been less popular over the last year and a half. Puts you in this weird situation where I just think there needs to be more variety in that world. And be it every other year there be a Modern Pro Tour, maybe coinciding with Modern Masters releases so that you get a Modern Masters set that you can sell packs of. Though, you know, Master sets in general are limited release runs, but that's still maybe a good advertising plug. Or a fifth tournament that year that's a little bit more modern heavy that plays like a Pro Tour, but it isn't as high of production value necessary from Wizards for the expense side of that. But there, or maybe the Moto Pro Tour is is that you know, like there, there's different places to do this. I agree with you though that the fact that we don't have a high level play right now for modern makes it less exciting. I mean, like it, it and then on top of that, like. One of the reasons no one paid attention to these GPs and we kind of missed them at first was because it was during a holiday weekend. Yeah. I was on vacation. You were out of town. Like both like they were they, buried, yeah. They were buried during that period. Like Yeah, it's I don't know. It, it is what it is. It's not one of these things where like we can sit here and complain, we can moan. Like we have a podcast that talks exclusively about the modern format that we've done for years. So clearly there's enough interest in this format and there has been enough interest in the format to justify an audience. And that's great. Um, but definitely there was that part of me that was just like reviewing these results and being like, man, it's just not as exciting as it once was. It doesn't feel as prestigious. Um, so long story short, let's talk about the results a little bit. Let's start with Grand Prix Copenhagen. When I was talking about standard, I actually said Grand Prix Copenhagen. I'm realizing now I had them mixed up in my mind, um, because I was watching Copenhagen results all day yesterday. 
uh, watching the videos. That was Amsterdam. That's really that, that's really embarrassing for you. Stan- well, I just wanted to call attention to it so somebody doesn't <laughs> tweet at me. It's the same thing on uh, somebody tweeted at me. I think that like during our episode of Guardians, when I was talking about Avengers, I said it was directed by John Favreau, which I know it's not directed by John Favreau. I know it's Joss Whedon, but somebody tweeted at me or sent a comment was like, "You were wrong." So Grand Prix Copenhagen, yeah, 2017. Uh, let me. I'm gonna just break down the the top eight real quick. Uh, so we have it was won by Grix's Death Shadow, which is probably the best ber- version of Death Shadow. Though I did like how many uh, aggressive Death Shadow lists or more classic Death Shadow Zoo lists were um, just around. And for instance, the other Death Shadow list in the top eight was more of a Death Shadow Zoo versus the new kind of Death Shadow mid range that's been around. Right. Uh, second place was by Living End, which I think was fascinating. Got a bunch of new tools. Um, from Amaket, cycling's yeah, mo- back. I mean, the most the most relevant card in the new in the new category is the Horror of the Broken Lands. That's right. like the, that's like the card that's well, yes and no. Uh, there's a really interesting uh kind of discussion that the the demon, right. the five mana whenever you cycle, yep. uh, do put a minus one minus one counter all creatures would totally see play in that deck and. In the future, Macy plan that deck as a is, as a sideboard option or a main deck option. The problem is, is the counter company's deck got the best answer possible to that demon. So yes. from a metagame perspective, it's not really playable right now. Right. Um. But in the long run, I can see that card being very influent- influential on Living End. I get that. Yeah. But Horror of the Broken Lands definitely a big a big yeah, game yeah. for those of you that totally. are not aware of the card we're talking about. It's Emiket's a common four four for a black and four cycles for a black. Whenever you cycle or discard another card, Horror of the Broken Lands gets plus two plus one till end of turn. So just a strong card that gets even better with what you're doing. Yeah. It it just it kind of fits right into the deck. Uh, Lantern Control and Blue Red Gift Storm were fourth place. Yeah, running that quad Baral quad uh, Electromancer. Yep, and that the, like some of those matches, like the, just the fact that you have eight copies of your of, of your Electromancer effect. Just I was, it's literally what I was just talking about with that Souls shenanigans I'm talking about. But like, it's just a density that we didn't have before. It, we, yep. It's not something, and that's not new to Omnicap, but it's just something that people are playing more and more with. When you watch the match now, it's like, okay, bolt your Electromancer. It's like, great. My chances of playing another one are so much higher than they used to be. Um, but yes, I mean, Storm has always been a somewhat resilient deck. And just the fact that you have eight copies of that card now, which turbos the deck. Um, I mean, you know, like Storm's gone through iterations in Modern. Back in the Seething Song days, it had that game plan. Well, now it doesn't anymore. It, has it gone through iterations or does it just keep having cards banned out from under it? <laughs> well, okay, but then it had a card printed that makes it better. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So I'm like saying it, it's the deck that just keeps coming back. Yeah, it, yeah it sticks the, around. It's they, the Rocky of the. Uh, they never kill it. What would they have to? What would they have to ban to kill Storm? Officially kill it. Manamorphos. Uh, grape, grape shot. Yeah, that's true. But th- I don't think they would ever ban grape shot. I'm trying to think. There's a card that they would if they banned a certain card. Manamorphos. Yeah, could deal with. Eventually, eventually could. these all get banned. But yeah, it, it's it's like affinity. It, there there are decks that are good because they just have every single card is going on their game plan and no one card is definitively key because even if you ban grape shot they still have empty the warrens if you ban both then yes then i think the deck dies but i think it has a pretty resilient just people will keep coming back to it plus people love playing storm there's such a like a, a group of people that love it that like if they ban another ritual they'll start playing the one that makes five one of every color that they were playing for a while back then you know like there's just there's going to be other effects that come out that help this deck yeah totally so yeah and it's cool that it plays gifts and given these days back in the day it didn't used to no oh, yeah um next down the list we got um lantern control yep uh 
just a you know I think it's a pretty stock list. There's nothing crazy. It's playing collect two collective brutalities. Yep. Uh, four Leyland of Sanctity main, which I think is kind of crazy. Um, but otherwise, it's kind of the standard list. Uh, That's just I mean, Leyland of Sanctity main is just a direct response to the high, high, high amount of Death Shadow playing yes. eight, eight uh, hand disruption spells in the yep, main. Definitely. Uh, the other big one, the big. The big, like, this is now a important piece of the format that people need to be aware of is Counters Company, which I don't know why it's called Counters Company as the name. I mean, I guess because it doesn't have counters on it, but uh, it's the it's it's collecting company combo decks, but it goes off with um, Vizier of Remedies yeah, and, and Devoted Druid uh, yeah, with I, the Dustwatch Recruiter. The I one mean, difference is that it's just straight green-white versus, you know, its main deck isn't uh, five, four color or three color. The reason it's called Counters Company is because you have two different combos in the deck utilizing the the uh, you know counters effect. Right. That's, that's so. But yeah, what's what I find really interesting about this is like they've gone heavy on the Devoted Druid uh, Vizier of Remedies combo, but at the same time, Devoted Druid Vizier of Remedies just creates infinite mana, which is great. Don't get me wrong, it is. And you know, if you have lots and lots of ways, Ronus and the Indomitable's in here, right? It's like another right. Just like I was talking about in the deck that I was building. But like, long story short. We have, you have three Dusk Recruiters and Ronus the Indomitable. I guess it is playing... Uh, sorry, the Viscerous here does make this straight up three colors still, but it, the third color is definitely much less than it has been in the past. Yeah, I mean, you have Ooze, so you can, you know, go Turbo and... But, like, that's not like it's infinite or anything like that. Yeah, no, no, so, the, yeah the big ones are Dusk Recruiter and Ronus. Yeah, what's fascinating about that to me is, though, now you've got all these slots, you have eight slots in your deck devoted to getting infinite mana, but what happens if you generate infinite mana and you don't have the sync? I mean, you can go wide and everything like that, but, like, it does seem a little bit suspect. Like, if I'm a, if I'm a smart opponent, I know what to play around in this deck, and I know that there are four... I know there's eight cards in your deck that, like, don't actually threaten me if I don't let you stick a th stick something to go infinite with. Yeah, but, like, Collected Company, Court of Calling, there are a lot of pieces that get this. I do, I do actually, uh, on that note, I like the Elves versions of these this combo more yeah. than I like this one because it's more just an Elf deck that's playing a Singleton um, Vizier of Remedies to, to that in, and it plays Collected Company and it plays Court of Calling, so it can cord for the combo piece if it has the Devoted Druid in play, Devoted yeah. Druid in play, but it then has all the other things that it generally does with all the mana it generates regularly, so yep. it, it, it seems like a little bit more of a resilient version or not a little bit more of a glass cannon version i haven't gotten to play against this deck yet yeah um but you know you and i talked a lot these last few weeks about a lot of these cards because i was brewing i wasn't brewing with the devoted druid combo i was brewing with peely polygrand architect and trying to make a collected company shell that was going to play nissa the new nissa and i was looking at a lot of these same things dust walk dust watch recruiter and ronus as ways to use your infinite mana but this definitely is the more reliable version so right something for sure to keep your eyes out for um, yeah, and it, it top it in multiple places. Uh, once you get kind of past that Titan Shift, Dredge, Death Shadow, there was also a four color Scape Shift and ninth. Um, and then if you get into the the top fourteen, and and this is really what was more effective in the other format. If you look at GP Kobe, is Eldrazi Tron. I think was the other big kind of player this weekend. And so let's let's mosey over to GP Kobe. Kobe. Yeah, so this one was won by White Black Eldrazi. This is like sort of a take on the Eldrazi and Taxes deck that we've seen a lot of people be playing over time. But this has kind of been a deck that hasn't been around since pre-Oath of the Gatewatch, so it being back is really sweet. I played against this in round six, I want to say, of uh, Grand Prix San Antonio. Sure. Um, a little different, but this was the this was the opponent when I was playing my, um, <laughs> my Crater Gargadon deck where he was like, 
main deck wasteland strangler i was like oh come on i was like so upset about it yeah but uh yeah there's the, a couple interactions here that people are probably pretty familiar with but we'll just throw them out there for you uh the tide hollow sculler and thought not seer combined with wasteland strangler uh is very powerful just the idea that you get to exile a card from their hand and then put that card into their graveyard using your strangler right. to get the value um so that's very good and you have a lot of your standard sort of just good stuff control cards in the spell section, fatal pushes and inquisitions and paths and thought seizes. Yep. One collector brutality. Um beyond that, ad nauseum. Yep. Is a is like kinda like same as Storm. Like these are both decks that play very similarly, and I think moving forward having cards that deal with both of these decks in some way, being Leyline of Synxidity or um the you can't play more rule of law effects like i think that's something that people should definitely consider having as a one or two of in their sideboard moving forward um you get uh affinity just doing affinity things you didn't mention that there is a collective company yeah this is a weird affinity list so just like let's look at the numbers really quickly this one's playing two thought cast two galvanic blast one collected company right which is already those numbers are very strange and then but like but like how do you get to those numbers like if you look at the lands too, it's like a snow-covered island, a Seagate wreckage. Um, like Seagate how- wreckage, we talked about when it first came out, made sense in Affinity. What's interesting about this is it's like heavily capitalizing on Collected Company by playing five three-drop creatures. Yeah. So it's pl- instead of playing the four Steel Overseer uh, and multiple Mem Knights, it's playing two Master of Ethereum and three Etch Champion, just to kind of like go all in on that game plan versus the kind of four Overseer that you see generally. Yeah, I don't really get it, honestly. I, I don't think that this is... I don't I think... Mean, like playing is, any color is easy. I, like, in, in, in Affinity, you have enough gold lands. Totally. You have, you have eight... You have 12 sources of gold mana. But Collected Company gets you two permits. So you have to get lucky, and really, to get a lot of value out of this, you have to hit, like, a Ravager and a Champion, or well, a Master only, and a Champion. The only bad creatures you have are... Mem Knights, Ornithopters, Signal Pests... I, know, but I, would, I would take a signal pest any day. And then Vault Scourge is bad, but okay. But Archbound Ravager, Steel Overstar, S Champion, and Master of Ethereum are your like, strong plays. Remember, in other decks, hitting Birds of Paradise and um, Noble Hierarch off of your four mana spell is like totally possible and it's fine but that's just as good as a vault scourge and a have you ever done the thing where you where you build your 40 card deck in limited and then you accidentally shuffle in the six cards that you didn't want to play and then you realize after you've won the first match that you were actually playing a 46 card deck with 17 land and you're like how did i win you're like well i guess sometimes luck's just going to be on your side i think that playing one copy of collected company in this deck is a little bit that like I don't think that's actually good. And granted, this top guy... Top 8 a GP. 100%. 100%. But at the same time... It has to be kind of good. One card in your 60 in your main deck that can be easily sided out, like, where... I just don't think it's going to affect your deck all that much. What I think is really interesting about this is that it's not like this testing showed you that one collected company, two Galvanic Blast, and two Thoughtcast had to be exactly correct because everybody... People have played... Some people have played three and four thought cast. Some people go like four gal blast and two shrapnel blast. Some, you know what I mean? Like people experiment with all different numbers here. I don't know how you get to two thought cast, two gal blast, and one collected company in this deck. It seems like a very strange like. I mean, you keep playing and you notice. Oh, I drew thought cast testing. You, I mean, uh, he he obviously top aided, so we've obviously skilled at it. And like Takeshi Kagawa is smarter than I am a thousand percent because I've <laughs> never gotten sixth place at a Grand Prix. He has, so there you go. I'm just saying that's what it seems like to me. But let's continue through this list. All right, uh, the Akiachiba's Esper Control. This is the one that we mentioned. Um, that's playing four Glorybound Initiative. Initiate. 
Yeah, uh, which is super spicy. And this is my point earlier. Like two mana for a four four, a two mana threat that can be a threat is like something that's super relevant in this format because so much of the removal is one to two mana. If you're two mana, think can kill a person. But if they remove it, fine. But for two mana, you haven't wasted that much mana onto this creature. And if it can kill them, then great. Like that. That's kind of where you need to be. That's why three drop creatures are so much rarer in this format is because just there's a, a such a large amount of removal spells at one mana that if you're anything over that one to zero mana difference between threats, you're in the losing end of that contest. On top level podcast, they were talking about this deck, and Chapin said that he's sort of playing like a stone blade deck a little bit. And yeah, like Glorybound Initiate is in the place of your stone blade uh, or of your stone forge. Um, it is interesting. Like I, I just still looking at that card have a hard time understanding how that can be good enough for modern. But I mean, a three one for two is on the border of playable stats. It's like right on the edge. It's not quite there. You wouldn't just play a three one for if two. If a three one for two was created with good, a secondary good ETB or some other ability, yeah. it would like easily be something people would consider exactly. to play. Exactly. Right. The stat is right on the edge. The fact that then every other turn you can bash for four lifelink. Uh, does make this good. I mean, and and the real reason that you're playing the card is because you're playing four painful truths. So the painful truths and the and the three collective brutalities. There's definitely a pay life gain life pay life gain life thing going on in this deck. Sure. You look at his mana base too. He's playing four dark slick shores. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, just because the the mana coming to play untapped. He's much more aggressive three than other decks because he's not playing. He's not playing the quad cryptic commands. So like getting to four mana can take a little bit more time. Um, he's playing one batter skull in the deck. Uh, like the the painful truth is really sweet as well. Yeah, I mean this is like a total. This is like a legitimate control deck. Lots of one ofs and two yeah. ofs. Like it's cool to see. Modern hasn't yeah. had like really control decks that weren't just mid range. Well, it it also has like this is what I was pointing out is a bunch of like random one ofs and two ofs yeah. with Snapcaster Mage. Like it has w a single Devour Flesh because the first Devour Flesh is fine, but then and against Death Shadow it's good. And then once in a while, you'll be able to snap. You'll like with Snapcaster Mage, every different spell you have makes Snapcaster Mage more and more of a command and less of just a snap lightning bolt snap threat. So now next to that, you have a Jeskai control list by Ryocha Tamada, who's played a lot of blue red. Um, Tamada's very, very, very good when it comes to playing blue red. This one they talk a lot about on that same top level podcast episode. Quads spell queller. Yeah, so four spell quellers. Look at this. So sweet. <laughs> the whole deck's crazy. Look at this. Four Spire Bluff Canal. Four Celestial Colonnade. Four logic knot. No, it's all four of four logic knot. <laughs> four electrolyze. Yeah, seriously, four spell queller. Yep. It's wild. This deck looks sick. And like the only sorcery spell in the entire deck is serums. The only sorcery thing in the entire deck is serum visions. Like this really is just guy flash. Yeah, it's sick. I'm totally into this list. This seems fun. I yep. don't understand playing four logic knots. I, I do. I get it. I've been playing it recently. Logic, like everyone's like, oh, but delve is the only way logic. You can totally just cast logic knot for four mana. Yeah. Like, like it's X. It's not blue, blue, delve, and only the delve cost. It's, you can just play it as a, as a, um, what's the, what's the one blue X counter target spell? They have to pay X. That's like just a spell. Can, uh, condescend? Yeah, condescend. Like, you can, that's not a condescend, but like you have the ability just to pay X to make it just a generic counter spell when you need it to be. And when you delve, it's great. Like, I think this is the best counter spell in the format. And Fair it's, enough. like, been underratedly the best one for a long time. Because I've been playing two in my, like, in my Esper list recently. And, like, every single, no matter what, like, I'm just, like, oh, I'll counter whatever they'll play. Yeah. Fair enough. On two mana, on turn one, you generally cast something on turn one, so you get to do the delve game. But then on, like, turn five, you just have all the mana you need to counter it if you don't want to delve spells away. 
Um, and then, you know, there's a Grixis Death Shadow deck who's in the top eight. Surprising no one. Uh, Dredge. I think Dredge, this is the other thing that popped up a lot this weekend. And it's, you know, it's once again, Dredge is a deck that if people are aiming for it, it's not going to do as well. But Dredge is definitely a deck you should be worrying about going into any tournament. It's really powerful and it's really unfair. And if you're not prepared for it, it will beat you. Yep. Straight up. Just period. Yeah, but I did see a match where there was a Leyline of the Void on the battlefield and against Dredge, and there's just like, nope. <laughs> you just can't play Magic anymore. Have right, fun. But you have to, like, the Leyline yeah. of the Void plan also involves you costing three sideboard slots. Yep. Um, Eldrazi, and then Eldrazi Tron would be the other one I, I want to point out. Just Eldrazi in general did really well. There was, you know, number 10th, I think, in, in GP Copenhagen. But here it just it, it, it had two slots in the top eight. I mean, and one was green, black, or white, black, and one was Tr Eldrazi Tron, but just this deck's really good. You have Walking Ballista, Karn Liberated, Reality Shaper, Thought Not Seer, Reality Smasher, Endbringer, and then Ulamog and Emrakul, the Promise End, the new Emrakul. Finally doing stuff. Dismember, Chalice is in the main. Like, this deck does a lot of really powerful things. Speaking of Emrakul, the Promise End, did I tell you that I played against this guy who was playing this, like, total shenanigans bug brew in modern? Maybe somebody has seen this already. He was playing the 2-2 two, two for 3 that you gain the life and then you draw a card. You know, the artifact guy? Yeah. He was playing that guy and and uh, uh, Distended Mindbender. And the idea being that on turn 3, you can play that dude. And then you can turn 4 Distended Mindbender, I think. Oh, okay. Is that right? Sure. Uh, or turn 3 Mindbender? I can't... I, no, I think it might have been turn 3 Mindbender because it was like... Anyway, I can't remember what it was, but the guy was doing some sick stuff, and then like Emrakul, the Promised End just gets like insane in the deck. Yep, it was playing. Like, yeah, it was cool. It was actually pretty cool. Yeah, to yeah. yeah. I mean, Promised End is a powerful card. Yeah, I think I think Promised End is being underplayed right now in modern. I don't know where exactly its home is, but you win pretty much when you cast it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm playing it as a one of and trying just to test it, and every time I've ever cast it, I'm just like, oh, this feels unfairly powerful. <laughs> yep, very good. It's like Mind Slaver is good or something. And then the green-white, the, the black-white uh, Eldrazi list we mentioned also, who won the whole thing. And that deck is super sweet. I, like, I do think Modern is super diverse right now. It's super cool. Obviously, there is a best deck in the format, being Grixis Death Shadow. But, like, just below that is Dredge and Eldrazi Tron. Like, I don't, I, like, the, I think there's a, a top, we definitely have a top five list with Counter, Company, you know, Death Shadow, Dredge. But that's fine. That's a like tier one. I don't think we have, it, like, a tier a tier zero deck you know i, I think we have there a tier one you think the death shadow is just tier one uh, the, the, there I, yeah. are variations on death shadow correct and that's maybe the point is that there are variations if there was just one i would say it was turn zero but i don't think we're like what we were running into eldrazi winter where just deck zero was the eldrazi deck that's fair yeah, yeah. um but yeah so that's 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 those are the two modern GPs. This, That's the format of, looks sweet. Well, there was the third. Was it was an SCG event? Was the third event? Was that what it was? Possibly. Um, whatever well, it is. That's a question I have for fans. So, like, classically, our podcast has focused primarily on modern GP content. So we do, we haven't done we do a little bit of SCG events, but we don't focus too heavily on that. And I, I wonder if our audience and, and please tweet at us um, at the MMCast on Twitter uh, if you'd like us to follow the SCG modern circuit a little bit more. Um, with a little bit more of a focus. Uh, yeah, because Wizards of the Coast, as we talked about earlier in the episode, isn't focusing too heavily on it, and SEG has announced that they're going to be much more modern-focused over the next year, um, and that's going to be a little bit more of their niche, especially since Channel Fireball is taking over the GP circuit almost entirely. Um, so it would be really interesting to see what you guys think we should focus on between those kind of two extremes, and, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean... Um 
I, I certainly think that we want to make sure we're covering what you guys want us to cover. You know, as we said earlier in the episode, jumping around a little bit and kind of talking about kind of just talking about like various magic related topics tends to happen when modern is not as much the premier format that wizards is pushing um we're going to definitely make an effort to to be trying to like cover more metagame dependent conversations and get more pros on the show because i think obviously you guys got into this and became fans of this because we were covering a format that is played at a highly competitive level so we have to give respect to to that um but uh but yeah, SCG is maybe the best opportunity for us to do that on a consistent basis. So maybe rather than just like general magic news every week, we could start the show off with like a 10 to 15 minute SCG news, what happened in the SCG modern circuit, and then kind of go into whatever the topic would be. Right, right. Um, you know? And, and the reason we haven't focused on it heavily re- before is probably because they have a kind of a range of tier level of, of professional play. So it's not easy to kind of always have the top level modern tournament every weekend. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited to see what you guys think. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, beyond that, uh, you know, we're, we said it early in the episode, we're going to GP Vegas. Uh, yep. You guys should come too. We're going to be hanging out. We're going to go to, you know, we're going to be, we're not playing. I don't think we're going to be playing in actually any of the actual physical events. We're going to do a bunch of side events because we realize we want to just kind of hang out with people that are there like you guys. Um, and we'd love if you guys want to tweet at us at the MCast again to, to kind of organize it. Also, if you follow us on Facebook, that's where we'll kind of be posting a lot of where we are individually at different times as well. So that's a good place to kind of maybe create kind of community meetups. Or if you want to kind of organize a little bit more thoroughly, Facebook is a good place to go for that. Um, if you want to also follow uh, the command zone on Twitter, uh, they're at the command cast. They, you know, the best place to find both of us is collected.company that's a website collected.company uh that's where you can find all of our episodes all of their episodes game nights they just released a brand new one uh with gavin verhey uh where they premiered the new nickel bolus um arch enemy yep. set that's coming out next week uh, which is super sweet and beyond that uh the patreon that's how you know we're going to be able to get to vegas and, and, and just to kind of do community organizing events there. That's how we are able to uh, eventually purchase new uh, recording setups so that because me and Ben are traveling so often uh, for work, we can use that to record no matter where we are so we can keep this podcast happening. It's really important, and we really appreciate everyone that donates. Even just a dollar uh, gets you there. Um, you get the Lifelinker code app, um, uh, so you can get our background on the Lifelinker app, which is a, a life counter uh, tracking thing that the Command Zone released. Um, and, uh, beyond that, Ben has a super, uh, action show thing called action movie anatomy that Alex was just on. Yeah. And also more relevant to magic is that I meant, I keep mentioning it, but, uh, anchor.fm is an app you can download that I do daily content every single day, 10 minutes of magic content on a show called 10 minutes of magic. And we have a trivia league that I'm running on Tuesdays now. So like Mondays we'll talk about community brews and news Tuesdays. We run the trivia league. There's five questions in all different magic categories. You just literally just call in directly on your phone. Like you're making a phone call with your answers. I announced the leaderboard a couple days later. Uh, we're running it in like a four week league at a time. It's really fun guys. It's, it's developing and we're getting more and more people doing it. Wednesdays, we talk about like my personal favorite cards. Thursdays, there's a game of Mental Magic. You can challenge me to play a simplified game of Magic directly over the app, uh, which again, a bunch of you guys have been getting in on, and I've been doing every single week. That's really fun. So, but but more action movie anatomy. Alex Kessler shows up just as Star Lord. We do Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep, go watch that as well. Also yep. the Anchor app. But also the Anchor. Yeah, AMA is a really fun show. Yeah. I've done 100 episodes of it. It's like my... Took you... I was on the 101st. I wasn't in any of the first 100, which, which is... Which is hilarious, by the way. <laughs> but uh, you go watch Probably the episode purpose. and you'll uh, know why. <laughs> And then uh, last but not least, um, that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Find us on Twitter, Ben Bateman Media. At Cass Wiley.
Awesome. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. We miss you. We'll talk to you next week. Have fun. Bye. Thank Bye, you guys. for your attention. See you later, alligator. <laughs>